Uh, good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Happy week of Thanksgiving this week. We're so happy to be celebrating that. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys that are connected there. Everybody connecting with us online. We're glad that you found us online there. Uh, we are continuing a series we've been doing called World View. And in this series, we've only got a couple of weeks left. We've been looking at, at, at why worldview is such a big deal. Why it even matters what our worldview is. Because it affects everything in our lives. And then we looked at what a biblical worldview looks like. What is that really all about? What is it that God wants us to think? And how does he want us to see the world through his eyes and his word, what he teaches and then we looked at the five greatest influences of worldview, and we found that especially parents and extended family are their biggest influence over the worldview of kids that are growing up in our world today. Last week, Mike did a great job of talking about how we can trust the reliability of Scripture, that we've got so much evidence and manuscript evidence and, and fulfilled prophecies and all these categories of evidence to support. You know, people are always saying things like, well, you know, man wrote the Bible and it's been changed all these, all, so many times over the years. And, and the truth is, the evidence shows it hasn't been changed. It's been preserved. And we could count on the reliability of Scripture. This week, we're going to talk about not just the reliability of Scripture, but we're going to take it to the next step. It's really important, not just, just that we know we can trust Scripture, but if that's true, and I believe it is, then the next step is to apply it to our lives then. If it is reliable, if we can trust it to be the authoritative Word of God, then if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then it would, it would make sense that what we're going to do now is learn what the Word says with the intent of applying it to our own lives. There was a teacher that asked her children's class to draw pictures of a Bible story that they had been taught over the years in church. And one little a boy drew this picture of four people sitting in an airplane. And she said, okay, help me out here. What Bible story is this? And, and she, he said, well, it's the flight to Egypt. And she said, okay, so if you know the story after Jesus was born, the angel said to Joseph, you got to leave because Herod's going to try to kill this baby. And they left and went to Egypt. And, and so the, the child said, this is a picture of the flight, the story of the flight to Egypt. And there were four people sitting on the plane. She said, okay, so, so that must mean this is Mary. Yeah, this is Joseph. Yeah, and this is, this is baby Jesus. Yeah. She, he, she said, well, who is this fourth person on the plane? He said, don't you know, that's Pontius the pilot. It's not enough just to know the scripture, right? You have to, you have to know how it applies, what it means, and, and how that is practical for your life today. And here at Lakeshore, that is one of the main focuses of our ministry, of our existence as a church, is to help people not only learn scripture, but to learn how to apply it to everyday life. Because we all have to make choices every day. Our worldview will determine how we go about making those choices. And if our worldview says that God is God, his word is authoritative, then we will make choices based on how does the teaching of God's word apply to this? How does it speak to this in my life? Well, there's a great passage that I want to lead with today that, that really focuses on the usefulness of Scripture of how useful it is to everyday life. Let's look at 2 Timothy. If you got your Bibles, turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
One of my favorite passages, I say that about every passage I share, <laughs> because they're all my favorite. 2 Timothy 3, verse, beginning with verse 14. It says, but as for you, Paul is speaking directly to Timothy here in this letter. Paul is a mentor for Timothy, helping him uh, develop into the leader for the church that, that God had called him to be. And Paul knows he only has so many years left, and he wants to really pour into Timothy and help him with his leadership. And he says this, all right? But as for you, continue in what you've learned, what you've become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. All right, so he's saying about Timothy, Timothy has been convinced that the scripture is true and authoritative. He's totally convinced of that. So now he's going to go on to give him more instructions here, right? He, he trusts who he's learned it from. He also says that how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he introduces the most important application of Scripture right up front. It's able to make you wise for what? Salvation. So it's in the scriptures that you learn the good news of the gospel of Jesus, how God sent Jesus here to be our Savior, uh, and how Jesus paid the price on the cross. You know, it's the whole gospel message that leads us to, if we accept that testimony is true and place our trust and our faith in Jesus, then we can have the salvation that he provides for us, that God provides for us through him. But he doesn't stop there with the usefulness of scripture. And I think sometimes we make that mistake as Christ followers, as we let the scriptures lead us to salvation and we kind of let it slide after that. We're saved now, we're, we're walking with Jesus and it's all good, but we still have to live everyday life after that, don't we? So what benefit is the scripture for us after the initial act of finding our salvation through that message there? Well, he goes on to tell us some things here, right? He says in verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. That goes back to what Mike talked about last week, right? It's authoritative. We can count on it. We can depend. It comes directly from God. All Scripture does. We don't get to pick and choose parts of it, okay? So he's saying, you know, the whole deal, that, that, that's all authoritative for our lives. But he says it's useful for, and he lists four things in particular here, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You remember the passage in Ephesians that says God prepared in advance good work he wanted his people to do? Well, how do you get equipped to do it? How, how are you going to know what to do and how to do it? He says, well, Scripture is authoritative. It's directly from God. And in Scripture, you're going to find all the equipping you need to do the good stuff God wants you to do while you're here on this earth. It is your resource. It, it is... It is that pool of information and wisdom and knowledge that will equip us all to fulfill our God-designed, ordained purpose on this earth. People are always saying to me, I, I just don't know, I can't find my purpose. I just don't know what God's will is for my life. And, and they'll say things like, and, and I don't hear God speaking to me at all. And other people say God speaks to them. And when they say God doesn't speak to them, my first question always is, how much time are you spending in the Word? Right? Because that's where God speaks to you. Now, he works through the Spirit as well and inclining our hearts in a certain direction. But the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word. So the Word of God is that source 
of information and wisdom that will lead us to the decisions God wants us to make and it equips us to do what God is leading us to do. So let's break it down in those four areas. We know it leads to salvation, but after that, beyond that, it's useful for these other things. One is teaching, right? That's the first one. It's helpful, useful for teaching what is true. Do you think there's a void of truth in our culture today? Boy, I do. Do you think there's a void of truth in the church, generally speaking, today? I do. And that is sad because the church should be the beacon, the source of authoritative truth in the world. But in many churches today, the truth is not being clearly taught and proclaimed as God presented it in his word. There's been so much compromise. There's been so much of of a fear of being offensive or or being uh, called a hater or whatever that that many pastors, many leaders in churches have in order to keep people happy and keep them in the seats and keep the offerings coming in, they have watered down or ignored completely or even twisted completely the truth of God's word. But the the scripture can't do the work God intended the scripture to do if it's not proclaimed, if it's not taught as truth. If this is directly from the breath or the mouth of God, the mind of God, and we believe God to be true, then we've got no business messing with this. Changing it around, watering it down, adding to it or taking away from it. That the scripture warns not to do that because this is truth. And here's the thing about truth. Jesus said it clearly. If you are really my disciples, you'll, you'll do what I've commanded you to do. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will do what for you? Set you free. You see, people need the truth. And the church is supposed to be that source of truth. And when I say the church, I don't mean just the preacher on Sunday morning at the service. What do I mean? All of us who claim to be Christ followers, we are the church. So all of us should be messengers of the truth of God's word. All of us should represent that truth. Let it be the guide for our lives. We should follow that truth and we should teach that truth. I love, uh, of course, uh, another passage that is often called the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And oftentimes that Great Commission, we focus only on the first part of it. And it's a great part. It's a part that we can't ignore. Here's what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the church has historically done a really good job of saying our mission is to go and make disciples. But what happened along the way is our definition of making disciples just meant let's get them saved. Let's introduce them to Jesus and get them saved. And we can count how many baptisms we've got. We can report it to our headquarters. We can celebrate those things. But that's not all there is to the Great Commission, is there? See, notice the key word is not go and make believers. It's to go and make what? Disciples. A disciple is distinctively different than just somebody who believes information. You see, you can believe the Bible is true and authoritative without ever applying it to your life the way God wants you to. A disciple in their culture was someone who said, that's a teacher I want to listen to and learn from and follow and become like the teacher. That's a disciple. 
And it was an ongoing process. It's not where you decided, all right, today I made the choice to be a disciple of this person, and now my journey is over. No, that's just the beginning of the journey. And if you decide to be a disciple of Jesus, it's the beginning of the journey to grow up, to learn from your teacher as an ongoing process in your life. You learn what he teaches with the intent of applying it to your life so that you become like your teacher. Jesus primarily was known as rabbi, teacher, and his followers were his disciples and still should be today. And the job of the church, us, is to go and make what? Disciples of Jesus. Ongoing learners, students who want to learn and grow up to be like their teacher, Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 20, all right? After we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, here's the next step in the Great Commission. Teaching them to, oh, what's that word? Obey. Uh, the parts of the Bible you agree with. Is that what it says? <laughs> to obey everything I have commanded you. See, the role of the church is not just to get people to say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The role of the church is to make disciples of Jesus. People who will follow after him with the intent of learning his teaching and obeying it, applying it to life. You see, the teaching part of the ministry of the church is critical to fulfilling the mission that God gave the church. And if you're the church and I'm the church, then we need to be involved in the teaching part, teaching scripture, teaching what is true. If we believe it's true and authoritative, then that's what we need to be teaching. And he said, I'm, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He didn't leave us on our own to do this. He gives us his spirit to indwell us and empower us and guide and direct us in that teaching of his word. So the scripture, he says, all of it is God-breathed and it's useful for, first of all, what? Teaching. Teaching what's true. People need to hear the truth. And here's the thing about the truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, you know that love chapter is so beautiful. Love is, you know, patient and kind and all that. But you know what it says about real love? It clings to what is what? True. You see, real love embraces what is true. So if you really love people, what do you need to tell them? The truth. You don't need to just go along with what they want. And just tell them everything's good and it's all okay if it goes against the truth of God's word and you believe God's word to be true, then you need to tell them the truth about that. And it's hard, I know, because sometimes relationships are strained when we take that step. And we've got to do it out of love, out of, out of real love for the person. But real love embraces the truth, so we need to tell people we love the truth about God's word and God's teaching. Well, the second thing he says it's useful for is another tough one. It says it's useful for rebuking. Rebuking where there is sin. One thing God's word does is it uncovers and opens up everything. It reveals everything, just what truth does. If, if it says something and it's true, then anything that doesn't agree with that is exposed as what? As a lie, as error. And people don't like to be exposed that way. 
It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Some people get angry. Some people cut off relationships when that happens. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. But the word of God is useful for rebuking. The book of Acts, one of my favorite sections of scripture. <laughs> Great history book. In chapter two, we have what is really a record of the beginning of the teaching of the gospel and the establishment of the church. Okay, It's found in Acts chapter two. It's a great history book. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up with the other disciples, but he, be he becomes the main speaker that day that shares the gospel for the very first time. And he preaches this whole sermon about Jesus and about how God had shown him to be who he claimed to be by the miracles and the wonders and the signs that God did through him. And, and then he goes on to say in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, that was a powerful statement for the audience that day. You see, some in that audience had probably been in the very crowd that when they offered Barabbas or Jesus, they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus to be freed. You see, they knew when Peter said that, and they were reminded of the miracles and the wonders and signs that Jesus had did, how he proved that he was who he claimed to be. And now Peter's saying, God, whom you say you love and honor, uh, God made that Jesus both Lord and Messiah, ruler and Savior and deliverer, but you crucified him. You're responsible for him hanging on that cross. The very next verse is huge. It says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That phrase cut to the heart is a phrase that's a little bit hard to translate from the Greek into the English, but it carries with it the idea of they were convicted of their sin. You see, what Peter said to them was actually a rebuke of their lives and their choices and their decisions that they had made. He was calling them out on it. See, the truth does that. It calls us out. It exposes. It rebukes us when there is error and sin and rebellion in our lives. That's why if somebody's willfully choosing to live outside of God's teaching and God's will for their lives, then they will not usually stay in a church that's going to teach the truth about those things. Now, they may be able to find one that will agree with what they want to do because there's a lot of them out there that do that. But if it's really teaching the truth, then they would be rebuked by what they're hearing and nobody really is comfortable and enjoys being rebuked like that. And that's why I'm so thankful for our elders and our other leaders here at Lakeshore who fully commit to teaching the truth even if it's hard even if it rebukes us. And I include myself in the rebuking too. And I, it's amazing how many times I'm preparing a message and I'm rebuked myself as I look at God's word and what I'm studying at the time. But that's part of the purpose. That's part of what God's word is useful for. Because when there's sin and error in our lives, what do we need to have? We need to be rebuked for it, don't we? We need to be rebuked for sin. Sin put Jesus on that cross. We should never take that lightly. 
We should never think it's okay. And certainly the church and its leaders should never celebrate it and act like it's okay, ever. We've got to be stronger than that. Even if people get upset, even if they get mad, even if they leave. But when I say the church needs to do that, who else needs to do that? All of us. We need to be willing to speak truth even when people are rebuked by it. We shouldn't ever do it with the intent of hurting anybody, of making anybody mad. That's not the goal. But the goal is to let God's word do its work and the truth does expose. And when things get exposed that are wrong, that's a rebuking that's happening. That's what that is. And the word of God is useful to do that. You see, if it was just my opinion trying to tell people these things, that would be not as useful as the authority of God's word saying, here's what's right and true. I always have people tell me, uh, who are you to judge anybody else? I I'm nobody to judge anybody else, but God is. God is in that position of authority. His word is the authority that brings that rebuke. So we can't rebuke people based on this is my opinion about this. We need to let God's word do its work and present it truthfully and let God do the rebuking instead of us trying to be the ones who are personally doing the rebuking. But God's word has to be taught for the rebuking to occur. I love what uh, the Hebrew author says in Hebrews 4 verse 12 about God's word. Verse 12, he said this, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, it goes deep, doesn't it? When it's taught clearly, it gets down in there and it uncovers the hidden things in our lives. The things that you have to cut open and dig down into to get to. Because it's easy to put on the outward appearance of believing in God and trusting in his word and still harboring sinful choices in our lives as if they're okay. But if we have a true teaching of God's word and a true reading and study of God's word, it will bring out and open up those things. They will be exposed and we will be rebuked for those things. The problem is in a culture we have today that is the one part of the work of God's word that the culture totally rejects as bad. It's one of the most needed things in our culture, but it's the one thing in our culture that the culture has decided you are evil if you participate in ever exposing or, or, or calling out someone or, or accusing someone of something in their lives being evil or wrong or bad. You just can't go there without them thinking you're the worst person in the world sometimes. So this makes it more difficult to let God's word do its work, to simply teach it and let it expose. So the key has always got to be, uh, when they ask, well, what do you think about that, Pastor? What does your church teach about that? Here's what I always do. You can do this too. I always say, you know what? What I think about this is not the important thing. What's important is what does God's word really say about it? So let's look at the scriptures together. Let's let God speak for himself. I don't have to say what I think about this. I can let God speak for himself. Here's what God's word. So you point them to God's word. You point them to scripture. I even ask them, would you read that passage out loud for me? 
while we're sitting here together and tell me what you think that passage says. Because God's word is clear on a lot of these issues that we're struggling with today. It really is. If we let God speak and be the authority that God is. Now, that doesn't mean everybody I do that with just says, oh, well, you're right. Okay, I need to correct that. that that's not how it works. Okay. I wish I could say we had 100% you know, batting average there, 1,000% uh, batting average. It doesn't work that way. So here's the thing. That doesn't, just because not everybody goes along, just because not everybody receives it well, just because not everybody makes the changes, that are like, it doesn't excuse me from being a teacher of truth. It doesn't excuse you from being a teacher of truth. We have to risk that some people aren't going to respond well. Did everybody respond well to Jesus? Did you hear what we said in Acts 2 they did to Jesus? Right, what was he teaching? Truth. And they nailed him to a cross. You see, not everybody's going to respond well. But God wanted to bring us the truth anyway. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he sent Jesus here with the truth to be that truth for us. So it's useful for teaching. It's useful, it's useful for rebuking. It's also useful for the third one here is correcting. You know what the intent of rebuke is from God? It's not just to make people feel bad. What's the intent behind it? To get them to make change and correction in their lives. That was the purpose of the rebuking was to bring about the correction that needed to happen. Correcting to make things right again. Uh, look at what he says. He says, you know, instruction in or teaching in what is called here training in. Correcting and training in. What's that word? Righteousness. The word righteousness, you know, gets a negative connotation a lot of times in our culture, too. We talk about people that are what? Self-righteous, right? That's, that's a really bad thing to be a self-righteous person. And I understand what they're saying. Self-righteousness carries with it the idea that we think we're better than somebody else, right? That's what self-righteousness would seem, what they think about self-righteousness. And that's not what he's saying here with training in righteousness. Righteousness means that which is right, okay? Now, how do we determine what's right? Well, if God's word is authoritative and we can put our trust in it, then what's the source of what is right and wrong? God's word, all right? The teaching of God's word. So God's word is useful for correcting so that we can help people make those corrections to get back to doing the right things in life, making things right again. Remember Acts chapter 2 when Peter said that to the people and they said, brothers, what shall we do? Well, Peter had an answer for them. Here's what he said in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he, and, and, but then he adds this. This is not just for you people that are here today. Here's what he says. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. So in that audience, Peter says to them, you know, you put Jesus on the cross. They said, what do we need to do? We want to make things right is what they're saying. Well, how do we make things right? He said, there's two steps you need to take today. Repent 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because it's your sins that separate you from God. You can't be made right with God until you take care of that problem. So the first step of correcting is repenting, turning from your sins, and being baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away, to be made new in Christ. You see, that's the first step in being made right with God is having the sin problem resolved through Jesus. And the word of God, remember, is useful. Remember he said to Timothy, it's it's what led you to your salvation, right? And here in Acts, we see that happening where the people are hearing the message, they're hearing the truth, they're being convicted and rebuked for their sin, And now Peter's saying, but correction can be made through Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. The problem with it is this. It says those who accepted his message were baptized. That means some people didn't accept the message that day. Sometimes we read that passage and we think, oh, the whole crowd got baptized that day. Well, the whole crowd was bigger than 3,000. In fact, the scripture says about 3,000 were baptized. We don't have the exact count. It's probably more than that. But in that crowd, there were more than that because he said it was only those who accepted the message who were baptized. Why? Because you will only act on it if you accept it, if you believe it. That's why baptism is such a big deal. There are people that still fight against. I don't think I have to be baptized. Well, do you accept the message? That's how you demonstrate that you've accepted the message. You become obedient to what he's telling you to do. If you're not willing to be obedient to what he's telling you to do, have you really accepted the message? No, you haven't. You've heard it. You may even believe it, you say. But you haven't accepted it in the sense of being willing to act on it. But sometimes, again, the mistake we make is we think, all right, if we accept the message and we get baptized and we're saved and then, and then it's kind of done. It's a done deal now. And that's not what the scripture teaches at all either. I love what James said in James 1, beginning with verse 22. He said this, do not merely listen to the word. And so, I love that word, deceive yourselves. Don't just listen to the word because you'll be deceiving yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, it's an ongoing process, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this Correction, this ongoing process of correcting to make right is not a one and done kind of deal. It's an ongoing process when we're always being in the word, hearing the word, letting it expose what needs to be exposed, allowing it to rebuke us so that we can then, in response to that, be obedient in making the corrections we need to make. It's like he says, I love the illustration of looking in a mirror. Why do we even look in mirrors at all? So we can see, is there something that needs to be fixed? Right? I mean, this hair doesn't just happen, people. (laughs) Have to look in the mirror, make corrections, right? Try to cover as much of the bald as we can. You know, all that stuff that you do. 
You see, you know, a booger hanging out of your nose when you look in the mirror. You make correction, right? You try to do that. But if you see that and you walk away and you don't do anything about it, he says that's like letting the word of God expose things and you say, okay, uh, no big deal. And you go on with the stuff without making correction in your life. See, the word of God's not intended to work that way. It's not intended for you to say, well, I, I, I can quote the whole book of John. Well, wonderful. Are you actually allowing it to change you and direct your life? Right? I love that you can quote it. That's a good thing. I, I'm not saying that's, you know, that's quite an accomplishment if you could say, I memorized this many verses. That's great. But are you allowing it to make the correction in your life that God says it's useful for making? So that you can be walking rightly with God in righteousness before God. Which leads to the last thing, the fourth thing is training, right? It's useful for training and how to live. That's part of the correcting, but it's an ongoing training process. I love what Paul said to fathers in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the, here's that word again, training and instruction of the Lord. If we drop the ball on the training part of all of this, then the worldview of the generations coming behind us will not be a scriptural worldview. It's impossible to have a scriptural worldview if you haven't been trained in scripture. There's no other way to get it. So if we want the generations coming behind us to have a scriptural worldview, we've got to invest in the training. Look, look Go back to Acts chapter 2 again. All right, what, what did they do after they got baptized that day? We look at verse 42. There's a, a summary verse there. It says, these people that were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to four things that were putting them into the training of the teaching of God's word. As a disciple of Jesus, they stayed connected and involved with each other and with the word and the teaching of the apostles so that ongoing, as an ongoing process, they're becoming more and more like Jesus. And they were equipped to do the good stuff that God had prepared in advance for them to do. God's word's amazing, friends. And I love that, that here at Lakeshore, we have committed from the very beginning to be a teaching church. We want people to know what the Bible says. But you have to understand this worldview thing. Remember, we looked at it from the very first week. We looked at it when we talked about the five greatest influencers. We have you and your children in here for an hour or two once a week. If people are going to be transformed by the power of God's word, then you need to be in the word daily, regularly, spending time in it, letting God speak to you through his word. People say, well, it's hard. I just, I don't understand it. And that's why you stay connected with others and you get involved in, 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 in attending a, a church that teaches and instructs and you get involved in a life group where, where ongoing teaching and training is happening. But that doesn't excuse you from doing your part either. And then when you have questions and things you don't understand, you can come to others that you're connected with in the church family and get guidance and direction from them. It's a process of allowing God to do the work through his word 
that he designed his word to do. It's living. It's active. It does what God says it will do. Here's something else he said about his word. It will not return to him void. What does that mean? It means if you'll spend time with it, let it speak to you, it will do what God designed it to do in your life. It will bring about change. It will bring about transformation. It will help you grow up and mature, become more like Jesus. So that we can represent him well in the world today. I want to close with a verse, some verses, uh, a psalm, Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 through 11. The psalmist did such a great job in this part of the psalms. And giving God's word the praise and the honor and the respect that we ought to all give to God's word. So I want you to just listen as I read it. If you want to turn to it, read along as I read it, it's fine. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. It's so beautiful in the description of what God's word is really there for, for us. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them, there's great reward. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that today we've been reminded not just of the authority of God's word and the reliability of God's word, but of the blessing of allowing God's word to do the work in our hearts and our lives that you designed it to do. Help us to be open and receptive to your teaching and your correcting, your rebuking, your training in what is right. And Father, we know that's an ongoing process. Help us to stay in the process, to not walk away from it, to not get upset when we're rebuked for something, when we needed to be rebuked for it. Father, help us to receive it well. And then, Father, train and equip us through your word to teach others, to equip others, sometimes even to bring rebuke to their lives when they need it, but, but with the intent of loving correction in their lives. And, Father, I pray that you would use us and that the people we share it with would be open and receptive to it, but help us to be faithful regardless. I thank you for this church family for those here who are receptive to your word, to the leaders here who are committed to holding on to and proclaiming the truth faithfully. Bless the work of your church is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.